The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome. You've entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simran Singh. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Learn to empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simran Singh. Welcome. We are having an interesting conversation today, probably one of the best books that is out this year. It is entitled Active Hope, How to Face the Mess We're In Without Going Crazy. This is truly a book that helps you get in check with where things are, but allows you to understand that we have the possibility for hope, but we have to be a part of that. The challenges that we face can be difficult even to think about. Climate change, the depletion of oil, economic upheaval, mass extinction, together creating planetary emerging of overwhelming proportions. But Active Hope and my guest today, Chris Johnstone, is really going to help you understand how to strengthen the capacity to face this crisis so that you can respond with unexpected resilience and creative power. Drawing on decades of teaching and empowerment approach known as the work that reconnects, the author guides us through a transformational process informed by mythic journeys, modern psychology, spirituality, and holistic science. This process equips us with tools to face the mess we're in and play our role in the collective transition or great turning to a life-sustaining society. I'd like to welcome Chris Johnstone to 1111 Talk Radio. Hi, Simran. Pleasure to speak with you. It's great to speak with you. I had you on 1111 Interviews, and it was such a wonderful conversation that I had to introduce you to our entire 1111 Talk Radio listening audience as well, because I think this book really is something that's going to effect profound change within a lot of people and take a lot of individuals from that place of hopelessness to a place of hope, not just hope, active hope. Mm. Certainly, we're getting a lot of people emailing us, letting us know that that's the effect that it's having, that people have found profound shifts through some of the processes and insights in in this book. So before we go any further, let's define what active hope really is for people in, in, in distinction to just hope, because I think there is a real distinction between the two. Absolutely. And and the word hope has two different meanings. The first involves assessing the probability that something's going to happen. And if you have a favorable assessment, then talk about feeling hopeful. So that's one side. But another side of hope is it's got nothing to do with probability. It's much more to do with desire, with preference and with intention. It's the question, what do you hope for? And the reason this this distinction is these two different meanings is really important in relation to the major challenges we face, what's happening in our world right now, is that quite often people look at 
world problems, global issues, there's so, so many of them, and they don't feel hopeful. And because of that, they, there can be a voice inside us that thinks, well, what's the point? You know, what's the point of even trying if I haven't got much hope that it's going to make much difference? Where, and, and that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. It becomes a block. If you think it's not going to make any difference and you don't do anything, then you won't make a difference. So it, a different way of thinking is to say, well, okay, what do I really hope for? And how can I put myself behind that? And the key here is that active hope is not something that you have. It's not like you're just actively hopeful as a something that you have. It's something that you do. It's a practice like Tai Chi or gardening. You don't have Tai Chi. You don't have gardening. You, you do them. And it's the same with active hope. It's something that you do. Well, the other piece that I got really from the book, too, is when people are saying, what's the point? They may be doing it from a place that's not truly informed, that they don't really know the full scope of things. They're just taking some of what they're getting from television or newspapers, and then they're becoming hopeless because what they see is so overwhelming. And and I think that what we have to do is really immerse ourselves in knowing what's the true reality right here, even as bad as it is, or perhaps in some areas it's not as bad as it is. But if we know what the truth is, only then can we take that empowered position to become actively involved in supporting its evolution. Yes, yes. I think what you're saying is, is really important, that just the act of looking is powerful, and there are also things in the way. There are things that make it difficult to look. But when you can look and see clearly, um, just doing that is stepping into your power. But also, then comes the question of, well, how do you respond? So there's, there's taking in information. There's becoming more aware. And, and we, need to, um, we need to strengthen our ability to do that. I think... Our, our starting point in, in writing this, and I, and I wrote with someone who's been a very great teacher for me, Joanna Macy, who's been active in working around bringing positive change into the world for, for longer than I've been alive. And um, the starting point is just to accept that a lot of this stuff is hard to look at. You know, it doesn't make you feel good when you watch disturbing news reports, when you see um, what we're having just over recent years, like an increase in extreme weather events, increase in major flooding disasters, an increase in the droughts and the wildfires. You know, you look at all of that, and that, that, that because it makes you feel worse, that, that there can e all of us probably be aware of a, a voice that says, you know, do I have to look? Do I really have to look? Can't I just switch channel, look at something else? And so that be the, the lack of awareness feeds on itself because it's hard to look. Well, and I think there's an even deeper point, too, that, that is the illusion, and that is when we're looking at it on television or reading about it in the newspapers, it's very easy to stay disconnected from it and say that's happening over there, and it's happening over there because those people are doing it, and pointing the finger to the government is just all in charge of this, and these people are all in charge of this, and we don't necessarily take the personal responsibility for some of what is being created. I know that when I was reading through the book, 
uh, one one particular section, and I'll read it here, and it was uh, about consumption. When more people consume more things, we not only deplete our resources, but we produce more waste. The rubbish generated each year in the United States could fill a convoy of garbage trucks long enough to go around the world six times. And I thought about, gosh, you know, I, I don't know that I'm so conscious about all of my garbage. I try to recycle. I do some of the things, but am I really conscious about all of the garbage that I'm creating, all of the different types of garbage that I'm creating? So then when we take that issue that we're seeing on television and we actually place it in our own hands and say, where's my part in it? That, to me, was profound. Yes. So clear what you've said. And, and, and particularly what you ended with, you know, where's my part in this? And I think that question, what am I part of? I think it's such a powerful question. Am I part of a way of living that turns forests into rubbish dumps? Because that's what we're doing with the level of um, excessive packaging that we have. I mean, so much of the packaging is is either from... Um, plant materials or it's made from oil and we're, we're living at a time where prices of oil are rising because the oil that's left is more and more difficult to get hold of we're having to um, drill like miles beneath the ocean surface to get oil in high-risk situations where you may get um, leaks from um, the, the, the oil wells and and what, what's it all for? Is it just a lot of that is just to transport food th- and products thousands of miles, often products that we don't necessarily need that are excessively packaged? It, it's amazing when you go through and you see all of the different things that are going on in the world and how that's increasing the degree of pain and overwhelm for so many people in other parts of their lives. My guest today is Chris Johnstone, and he is one of the co-authors of Active Hope, How to Face the Mess We're In Without Going Crazy. Active Hope is about finding and offering our best response to ecological and other man-made crises unfolding in our world. It starts by accepting that the challenges we face can be difficult even to look at. Climate change, the depletion of oil, economic reversals, the dieback of our natural world, they all act together to create a planetary emergency of overwhelming proportions. This book, Active Hope, offers an approach that strengthens our capacity to face disturbing information and respond with an unexpected resilience and creative power. It empowers the individual to be a part of our society, to be a part of the change, to be a part of the solution and a part of the resolution, but at least engaging in some of the situations and circumstances that are taking place. At the heart of their message is the idea that active hope is a gift that is not only given but also received. The journey of finding and offering our gift of contribution helps us to discover new strengths, open to wider networks of allies, and experience a deepening of our aliveness. You can connect to Chris Johnstone and Joanna Macy at the activehope.info website. That's www.activehope.info. We'll be right back with Chris Johnstone. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444... 
People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. Active hope surprise a process that can be applied to any situation. It involves three key tests of reality, identifying what we're hoping for in terms of the direction that we want to move or the values that we'd like to see expressed and taking the steps to move ourselves in our situation in that direction. Chris Johnstone and Joanna Macy have written a profound book, Active Hope, How to Face the Mess We're In Without Going Crazy. It gives a realistic view to what's going on in and around us, but also a realistic view as to what we can do about it, how we can become active, and how we are not victims to this society and our world unless we choose to be. Um, Chris, I'd like to welcome you back to 1111 Talk Radio, and I want to talk about the pain that our world's in and how we honor that pain, because because I think that is one of the first steps, is we do have to respect and honor the place that we're in in order to know what steps to take in that same sacred journey of honoring. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think the real key here is what's the meaning we give to our experience? So when you watch a disturbing television report or you come across some shocking statistic about what's happening in our world and you notice yourself tightening up, you notice yourself feeling heavy, sinking inside. There are different stories you can tell yourself about that experience. One is, oh God, this is too negative. It's ruining my day. Um, I don't want it. And, And that way you close to the information in a way that blocks your response. But another story is to say, our feelings are part of what have helped um, human survive. They're part of our survival response to do to threatening situations. They're, they're alerting signals. And so that way you're giving your emotional response a different meaning. You're telling yourself a different story about it. You're saying these are life-preserving signals that are like wake-up calls that um, mobilize my, my response in the same way that if you put your finger over a flame, it hurts. Ouch. But that pain is what alerts you to the risk of danger and you move it away. But, but I want to go one step further here because your pay, if, if you feel pain for something other than yourself, what it tells you 
is that you have a relationship of connection in the same way that if uh, a family member or, you know, if a family member is injured or ill and you find yourself feeling sad, alarmed, concerned about them, that's because you have a relationship of connectedness. You have a, a, a relationship that joins you. And so if we feel upset about what's happening in our world, that's evidence that we are joined with our world. We're connected with our world. We're not just separate bubbles of selfishness living our own, going about our own thing, but we're part of a larger living system. And that's, that's the real key shift. It's a shift in, in the way that we think about ourselves. Well, and when you go through the book, you talk about three different philosophies as approaches to looking at things. And, and, Two of those come from more of a, a victim or not being able to do anything about it stance. And the third is about a great turning, which is really the place that we must make the choice to go. Otherwise, we face extinction by our own hands. Talk about those three different approaches and why we must move into the great turning. Yes. Yeah. Well, the first story is all around us. You, if you watch any major soap if you watch um if you go into a major shopping mall if you re read any of the kind of mainstream newspapers that's what you see all around you what we call business as usual business as usual is based on certain key assumptions and and the central of which is there's no need to really change the way we're going um that although we have economic upturns and downturns the the general purpose of aiming for increased economic growth aiming to get more to strive to be ahead of other people that seemed to be as on course and the second story is taking a step back and saying where's this leading where's this leading us that if you start looking at the price that we're paying for so much of our progress we are literally tearing our world apart that forests are getting smaller at the same time as deserts are getting bigger at the same time as the area of um of farming land is, is shrinking due to loss of, of topsoil at the same time as human population and consumption are increasing there's all of these trends that are heading in very disturbing directions and we call that the story of the great unraveling and it's it's really just a sense that our world is falling apart around us in a very disturbing way and so the first story kind of says, well, there's not much problem apart from maybe shortage of economic growth and, you know, things will pick up soon. The second story is saying this is a horror story. You know, we are heading for disaster. And the third story is taking a step back and seeing both those first two stories and saying, yes, you know, they're happening. You can see them, but we've got a choice about how we respond. And if we don't want the disaster movie to have the last word, the third story, which we call The Great Turning, is of a mass mobilization of awareness, intention, and commitment to act for the recovery of our world and the transition to a life-affirming society. And to, to allow that to take place, I mean, that really is the story of adventure. It's, it's the story of what we each came to do. We each came and our soul really desires to, to be the underdog and then be the hero or the heroine and come out among that and, and commune with other people and create that community and that 
new world. It's it's done in movies. It's written about in movies. It's shown to us in so many places. And that ultimately is what we all want to achieve as well. Hmm. I, I really loved hearing you speak, Simran, about the soul journey. And I know this is something that you have a lot of passion about and also a lot of experience and understanding in. Um, one of the things I picked up from, from hearing you speak was this idea that life presents us with challenges and they're not necessarily pleasant at the time, but it's through rising to the occasion that we grow in our soul journey. Is, is that part, part of it? This- I believe so, yes. I believe that our mm. soul really chooses certain circumstances to help us learn and grow and exceed beyond what our mind can imagine we are to that greater connectivity that, that is an understanding that we are all of this and we have the power to, to enliven ourselves knowing of all of this while we witness what we're creating. And, and so this, this whole experience that the earth is going through and all of what we are witnessing to me is also part of our soul's journey to overcome and to re-enliven everything that's around us while we also get in touch with our own purpose and aliveness. Yes, I I love the way you talk about this and what it reminds me of is is an image of um, a pearl in an oyster which uh, I, I teach a lot around resilience and I see the pearl in the oyster as a really wonderful image of resilience because you don't get a pearl unless the oyster is traumatized. You get a bit of grit or sand in the oyster that irritates the oyster and that the, the reaction that the oyster gives to that grit is to cover it with this, it's called a nacreous solution. It's like a silvery substance that eventually turns into a pearl. And I, th- I think of when we're, when we're looking at what's happening in our world, it's like we can experience that in a similar way. We can say, this is the grit, but we have a choice about what we give to it. And if when we give a response that leads to something valuable, shiny, um, like a pearl, then... Th- that's one of the ways in which uh, there's a phrase post-traumatic growth that we can grow through rising to the occasion when facing adversity and difficulty and this 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 way of thinking about this is we could be at a crucial turning point in our species that one route is one turning is a downward spiral and we're definitely on that there's lots of evidence for that but another and i think of it as a bit like the hitting bottom of addictions recovery is where we crash into something and we have a massive wake-up call that leads us to make some very important fundamental shifts that lead to an improvement and that's a way of thinking about the um the great turning it's also a way of thinking about the soul's journey it's a way of thinking about that how growth how improvement can come from rising to the occasion it's a way in which crisis can become a turning point well and you also write and talk a lot about how that very uncertainty that not knowingness of you know what what direction are we really going to end up in because at this point it can go either way so what direction is that uncertainty sitting in and yet that very uncertainty is something that strengthens us yes absolutely and i think there are different types of certainty and and I love adventure stories, and I just think of someone like Frodo, you know, at the beginning of the story with Lord of the Rings. And if he knew 
for sure that there was no problem, that he'd find his way and it would all have a happy ending, then what would there be to stop him falling asleep at crucial times? You know, like he really showed up, he really gave his best effort and he gave his best effort because he didn't know that it was going to work out okay. And so he wanted to do everything he could to make it more lightly. But if on the other side, he knew for certain that it was all hopeless, then he might think, well, what's the point? What's the point of even trying? And so there's these two different certainties. One is the certainty of it's hopeless, there's no point. And another is the, the certainty of it will all be okay. And both of those are unhelpful. The, the extremes of optimism or pessimism both lack the ability to call out our best response. It's uncertainty. Uh, wh where there's uncertainty, it's like the end hasn't been decided yet. And because we don't know which way it's going to go, and it could be really awful, it could be really wonderful, it could be a whole range between those things, then what we do has the potential to make a difference. And that's this real key with uncertainty. Uncertainty can be something that wakes us up because in the space between, um, in the, when, when it hasn't been decided yet, it's like our votes the votes of our actions, our choices, what we do with our lives still has the potential to make a, a decisive difference. We can react to the world crisis in many different ways with a spectrum of possible responses from our best to our worst. We can rise to the occasion with wisdom, courage, and care, or we can shrink from the challenge, blot it out, or look away. With active hope, we consciously choose to draw out our best responses so that we might surprise even ourselves by what we bring forth. Can we train ourselves to become more courageous, inspired, and connected? This takes us from the adventure thread to the next thread, the spiral of the work that reconnects. This is from the book Active Hope, How to Face the Mess We're In Without Going Crazy, written by Joanna Macy, who has been an esteemed scholar of Buddhism, general systems theory, and deep ecology, and an activist for decades, and Chris Johnstone, who trains and teaches on resilience, happiness, and positive change. You can connect with both of them and also find out more about this wonderful book at activehope.info. We'll be right back with Chris Johnstone. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. The 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. 
for listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. One of my favorite movies of all time is the film Avatar, and it really gives a sense of how connected the Navi were with their planet and how the trees, everything was energetically connected and could physically be connected and how the health of their planet also was the health that they were. This is very much like what we're going through. The things of movies are the things of reality and the things of illusion are the things of movie. We are all living that same scenario right at this very time and we have to choose if we're going to be the destructive force or if we're going to be the healing force that that really brings all of the threads back together. Chris, let's talk about the thread of the spiral of the work that reconnects. There's a wonderful drawing in the book of one of those little, uh, little, and I don't even know what they're called, flowers that you blow on and all the little pieces spew into the wind, but it's shown that the roots were gratitude and the, the stems were the honoring of the pain, and then they grow into these little flowers that are seeing with new eyes, but yet we blow those wisps away into the air, and that's how we go forth and create the change. Yeah, what a lovely image. The work that reconnects is an empowerment process developed by Joanna Macy back in the late 1970s, and she um, she was very involved in the anti-nuclear movement. She was involved in a, a, a lawsuit, a citizen's lawsuit against a nuclear power station. And what she found was, was when she, she'd been doing all this research about the health effects of nuclear power, and when she told people about her findings, she noticed that they kind of glazed over, they looked the other way, they changed the subject, and there was a kind of awkwardness in the conversation that came to a dead end. And w- w- what she noticed was there's something about painful, disturbing information that people switch off to. And that if that happens, that's crucial for our survival because how can we even address a problem if we find it too depressing to think about? So she set up these workshops where people came together just to tell the truth of how they felt about what was happening. And it was kind of like a discovery when she first started these workshops in the late 70s that they were incredibly energizing for the people who came. And there's something really surprising here because you wouldn't expect that people coming together and sharing their deepest nightmares, their worst fears, their you know, the things that disturb them most would lead to a remarkable shift in the group energy where the people felt closer. They, there was, there was a kind of alchemy, some kind of shift happened. And that led to an approach called despair and empowerment work that has over the decades um, developed and and the term used is um, the work that reconnects. And it is partly because when we face all these things just by ourselves, we can feel isolated and we can also feel much less effective. When we come together and share our concerns, so reconnecting with each other, we also just that there's there's something about that phrase i can't we can it's it's a phrase used a lot in recovery groups self help reco- recovery groups 
and um, that's how I that's how I met Joanna Macy. I, I got involved in these workshops back in the nineteen eighties, and found I did a week with Joanna in nineteen eighty nine that that was life changing. You know, I look back on that week and. There, there, there was a turning I made in my life and, I, and it started me on a different course and I've been very involved in this work, working closely with Joanna really since then. You said something very, very important, Chris, and that is that when, when she would talk about things that were disturbing, the people's eyes would glaze over or they would want to turn away. And I, as I was hearing you say that, it made me realize that the numbness that so many people in our society have come to and, and the lack of feeling and the lack of attention that we have gotten in our world um, because of being preoccupied with our lives or technology or the drama of other people, that is what has created many of the problems that exist today. It is our own unconsciousness and and lack of desire to look at things for how they really are. And so that work truly is profound because if it can get people to the place, number one, that they look, but that they also speak and feel it at the same time, that's where the ideas will start to envelop from after the healing has started to take place. Yes, and I love the way that you started this section by referring to Avatar. And there's something about... When we're part of a story that excites us, when we're part of a story we really have our heart in, we feel ourselves living that story, we become more alive. But when we feel a sense of emptiness in our story, it's like we've lost the plot. We've lost the plot because the plot we're living hasn't really got any substance to it. It doesn't, doesn't ring true deep inside then it's like we just go through the motions. We go through the motions and may think, well, what's the point? Do I really have to? And there's a closing down of energy. And this is happening on a a massive scale in our society. Um, And people turn to short-term comforts as a kind of consolation prize. I, I spent nearly 20 years working as an addiction specialist in the British Health Service. And really seeing that, it's kind of like looking for salves, for emptiness and for pain. Whereas there is a very different story that happens when we come together and we support each other in moving towards a vision that we, that we love, that we're, mo- we're moving in a direction where we say, I love that, you know, I love that so much that I really want to put my life behind the journey of moving that way. And what happens is when we do that, it's like we bring more of it into our everyday. It's not just some distant dream far away. It starts to populate the way we think, the way we feel. Um, we, we start having a different relationship with people. That are, I, I find there's something about the interpersonal economics. When, when you really long for something to happen and you're working with other people who long for the same thing to happen, there's, there's much less argument about who's getting more or who's getting less or, you know, who's kind of barging in here. Who, and it's much more of a sense of how do we support each other? We're all heading in the same direction. And, and there's a deeper shift of, well, on one level, we're all part of the same thing. You know, we're all part of this wondrous, amazing living planet called Earth. And that if we were to really have that shift, it's a shift of story. And it's much less about how far am I getting ahead, I compared with other people in this great big rat race. It's much more about 
what can I offer? What can I give? How can I find my role in a story that I really have my heart in? And that's where we, I love this phrase, the gift of active hope. The gift of active hope is what is our offering? Every one of us, every one of us can do something and, and perhaps, you know, lots of different things. But when we think of our sum total in our life of our, our big offering and all the many different pieces of that, it's kind of what we're doing is we're leaving a positive legacy for those who come after us. And that's our gift. One of my big interests is about how do we have more satisfying lives? And research shows that when you're in the space of loving kindness it's what, and, and doing, say, random acts of kindness, it's one of the most reliable ways to shift your mood upwards. Well, and it just, to me, it takes the degree, it takes activism to a whole different level because what you're talking about and the connectivity and the community and the, the self, self-fullness of service is actually creating sacred activism, not just activism. And that really empowers the, the hope and the, the vision and the desire for people to be that much more a part of something. Yes, it's a, it's a really wonderful story. And what I really love about this is it's broadening the definition of that term activism. Joan and I, we, we write of activism is where you are active for something bigger than yourself. And there's lots of different ways of doing that. And um, a, a framework that Joanna developed many years ago of thinking of the great turning, this wonderful story of change that we can all be part of, that we are part of, um, we can think of as having three main dimensions. And, and the first is a lot more related to what's often thought of as activism. She calls that the holding actions, because what we're doing there is acting to protect what's left of life. It's acting to protect the forest, to protect the gene pool, to protect um, justice and, and values that are important. But it's often about struggle, campaigns, process. It can leave us feeling a bit battle-weary if that's all we do. And so the second dimension of activism is about building life-sustaining structures and ways of living. So that's like permaculture, developing new ways of education, holistic approaches to healthcare, ecological economics. There's a whole way of range of ways that our society is being reinvented around us and that we can be part of that and supporting that just through our choices about where to spend our money, how to earn our money, what kind of transport we use, where we go on holiday, what kind of food we eat. All of those kinds of choices can support the emergence of a whole new economy. But the third dimension it's like they're all important. It's not that one's more important than the other, but they each sustain each other. And what's needed to support those first two is a deep level shift in values. And that's what the third dimension of the great turning is about. It's about how do we strengthen our capacity and our motivation to act for the well-being of life. And Joanna has this wonderful term. She calls it bodhicitta. Bodhicitta is a Sanskrit term, and it means the intention, commitment, desire to act for the well-being of life. And so what the third dimension is, is how do we help our bodhicitta go stronger? 
How, how do we cultivate it? How do we nourish it in ourselves and each other? And when our bodhicitta is strong, it's a source of strength within us that helps us face all the challenges. You know, a lot of this is, is, is hard sometimes. We might feel frustrated. We might have the experience of disappointment and, and failure. And in order to keep ourselves going, it's like we need to touch into our bodhicitta. It's like a source of fire, of energy, of passion within us. And that keeps the balance and it keeps the, uh, at least the vision strong and, and not getting overwhelmed and not allowing oneself to get too tired because we're staying at a, such a centered, grounded place and in such a place of gratitude. Yes. We have a whole chapter about maintaining energy and enthusiasm because it's such an important one. You know, that when you see all the ghastly, awful disasters unfolding, there can be such a sense of urgency that it can lead to a kind of like a rush, rush, must do this, we hardly got any time left. But when we're in that racing space, um, our, we, we change the way that we work. And it's, it's kind of like that's part of the problem is that frenetic rushing from one thing to another. Because what happens when we're at that high speed is that we lose attention and we also lose relationship. We lose attention of the people around us, the environment that we're part of, and in a way that distances us, disconnects us in terms of our relationship with that. And when we slow down, we notice more. And when we notice more, we can care more. So, so yeah, there, there, there's ways in which all of these shifts abound in. I, I, um, I, I love the phrase personal sustainability. Personal sustainability is how can I be productive and offer my gift of active hope, but in a way that I can keep on doing this for decades, that I'm not just going to exhaust myself in the, in the next 18 months. Most definitely, and that's a very important piece of sacred activism and of active hope. Active hope is not wishful thinking. Active hope is not waiting to be rescued by the Lone Ranger or by some savior. Active hope is waking up to the beauty of life on whose behalf we can act. We belong to this world. The web of life is calling us forth at this time. We've come a long way and are here to play our part. With active hope, we realize that there are adventures in store, strengths to discover, and comrades to link arms with. Active hope is a readiness to engage. Active hope is a readiness to discover the strengths in ourselves and others, a readiness to discover the reasons for hope and the occasions for love. This is from Active Hope, How to Face the Mess We're In Without Going Crazy, by Joanna Macy and Chris Johnstone. You can find out more about the book and all of their work at activehope.info. We'll be right back with Chris Johnstone. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444... 
people all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. Where is your gratitude and how do you use that to motivate you to act in your world? Today we have gathered and we see that the cycles of life continue. We've been given the duty to live in balance and harmony with each other and all living things. So now we bring our minds together as one, as we give greetings and thanks to each other as people. Now our minds are one. The Earth Mother, we are thankful to our Mother, the Earth, for she gives us all that we need for life. She supports our feet as we walk up out upon her. It gives us joy that she continues to care for us as she has from the beginning of time. To our mother, we send greetings and thanks. Now our minds are one. These are verses from Active Hope, How to Face the Mess We're In Without Going Crazy by Joanna Macy and Chris Johnstone. And they are really the reverence and care and love and gratitude and sacredness that we truly need to hold our great Mother Earth in for all that it has given us and nourished us and allowed to be our home, our, our sacred place that we have been on. And now we have to look back as to how we want to treat that great mother. So how do we see all things with new eyes, Chris, with, uh, with the way things have gotten to and in stepping into places of active hope? How can we see things with new eyes and allow those visions or catching on to an inspiring vision to pull us forward? Well, just to say I love... The, the, the piece that you chose to read, which is from the Mohawk Thanksgiving's Address. And Mohawk's one of the um, nations of the Haudenosaunee. And there's something, if we were to see with new eyes, I think a really good place to start is gratitude. Gratitude is often seen as about politeness, you know, polite to say thank you afterwards. But the Haudenosaunee Native American people have a much deeper understanding of gratitude and thanksgiving. They see it as essential for our survival. And I'm really, as I was um, reading more and more of the um, writings and and understanding the the wisdom passed on by the Haudenosaunee, um, it's, it's something about thanksgiving. And there was a group who came, of the Haudenosaunee, who came to the United Nations to give an address. And 
they they gave a warning. It was kind of like a prophecy where basically they're saying that when we forget, when we stop doing gratitude, that's when we're really in danger. And and I can really understand this now because their Thanksgiving prayer, they thank all of the, you know, the green, um, all the vegetable beings. It's so easy to forget or even not be aware that our life depends on the whole rich fabric of the rest of life. That, for example, just in something as simple as taking a breath of air, you know, we, we take breaths of air like huge numbers of times every day. Don't think anything of it. But if we were to be take a breath of air on Venus or Mars, we would not enjoy the experience. It, you know, just with, basically Mars and Venus, their atmospheres are nearly all carbon dioxide. And the atmosphere on Earth used to be very similar. It used to be much more similar to that. There was a lot more carbon dioxide billions of years ago, and there was hardly any oxygen at all. And it was plant life that took the carbon dioxide out and put the oxygen in. And, you know, we could say, well, so what? I'm not interested in chemistry. What's this got to do with me? And But, but it was this remarkable thing that oxygen has remained at very high levels for hundreds of millions of years in a way that completely defies one of the basic laws of science, the second law of thermodynamics. Now, you don't... The second law of thermodynamics is a bit like gravity is to physics. Like when you hold something up high and you let go of it, it drops downwards. And what happens with chemical equations is that they, they follow a similar direction. They drop downwards from highly energized states to more um, kind of stable states. Well, okay, I don't, I don't want to get too complicated here. But the core of it is, is that oxygen is a highly reactive gas that explodes when combined with methane, which is also around in the atmosphere. And chemically, you just wouldn't expect it to be around on anywhere near the level that it is. And I I was never taught this at school. I was never taught that it's completely amazing that there's 20% oxygen in our atmosphere because it just wasn't seen as important. Now, the Haudenosaunee, they say thank you. Thank you to the plants, because without them, we wouldn't have our life. It's not just that we eat food that that, that comes from the bottom of the food chain is, is plant life. It's like we wouldn't even be able to breathe because of the plants. Now, that's not even factored in when we're tearing down the forests. It's not even factored in when we're polluting the oceans in a way that is currently causing a catastrophe for plankton. There's been scientific articles written about the very significant decline in plankton, the microscopic um, organisms in the ocean um, that, that also produce oxygen. And, and we don't even know about it. It's not even seen as important. It's seen as completely off the screen. Well, with gratitude, there's two sides of gratitude. There's what are you grateful for? And who are you grateful to? I I think of 42 as the magic number of gratitude. Four, two. What are you grateful for? And who are you grateful to? I'm grateful for the oxygen I breathe. And I'm grateful to the plants that produce it. And when we start to see how much our life is completely dependent on all these other living things, we start to feel grateful to them in a way where it seems like really stupid to be killing them. I don't know how this is sounding to you, Simram. 
Well, you know, what I'm hearing is that we have become very spoiled children that have taken for granted everything that we have. And we are so used to saying thank you after the fact that we really need to start in this very moment saying thank you right from the beginning and even saying thank you for where we are in this moment, what our world looks like. Because had it not gotten here, we would not be waking up. We would not be paying attention. We would not be even getting to a place where these kinds of conversations are happening amongst certain peoples and growing circles. And so I think the place of of gratitude is such a key piece, but even there we have to take responsibility for how we've been doing that. It's been it's been a nonchalant after the fact surface type of thing rather than being the intentional place in the beginning, uh, very much like the Andasanis had de- done before when they honored the land or the fruits or whatever they were using. Yes. And the thing about this is that it can bring benefits on so many different levels. Well, one of the pieces of work I've been involved in is around community health promotion, mental health promotion, particularly developing programs to help prevent depression. I mean, depression is a mass epidemic in our society. The lifetime risk in the Western world is about one in two people are likely to suffer a significant depressive episode at some point in their lives. And if we were to design a cultural therapy that would help prevent depression, gratitude would certainly be part of it. That there's a, I'm very interested in all the positive psychology research around teaching people simple gratitude processes in a way that has a such a, a, an impact on their mood that if you had a new drug with that effect on people's mood, it would be in the newspapers everywhere as the new wonder drug. And yet these are very simple things that we can do to cultivate our thankfulness cultivate our awareness of the many ways that we're receiving but also what happens is when we feel grateful we're more likely to give back and that gratitude has been seen as one of the keystones for the evolution of human cooperation that it's when we feel grateful that we give back but when we give back other people feel grateful and then they're more likely to give back and so you get like a positive cycle where the more we feel grateful the more we give The more we give, the more other people feel grateful. The more they feel grateful, the more they give. And so you you end up a completely different spiral to what's happening at the moment, which is often going the other way, that people feel a sense of um, being taken from and resentment and closing down and, and fear and hostility growing between people. Well, I'm very grateful to have had you on the show and to have been exposed to this book, Act of Hope. I think it is a profound book for our time, and it needs to be read by every person so that they can be a part of what is so necessary as the change in our world right now. You can connect with Chris Johnstone and Joanna Macy at activehope.info. Definitely get your copy, Act of Hope, How to Face the Mess We're In Without Going Crazy. Take a moment to reflect on your willingness 
is to take a human birth in such a challenging planetary time. It's your bodhicitta calling you. This is such a harsh time, and yet you were aware that you were being born into a life much touched by suffering. Every human life is, by necessity, a particular life. You can't take birth as a generic human, but only as a unique human shaped by particular circumstances. So feel yourself stepping into these circumstances now. Imagine you choose them in awareness and how they will help prepare you to serve the flourishing of life on this planet as we know it today. The name of the book is Active Hope. Get your copy today. It's been a pleasure having you, Chris. Thank you so much. I'm Simran Singh. Until next time, be well. And we will have a wonderful conversation next week with Maria Manusheri on intuitive self-healing, achieving balance and wellness through the body's energy centers. Talk to you next week. Thank you for stepping into the doorway of conscious choice with 1111 Top Radio. Please join host Simran Singh again next Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for another enlightening edition here on the 7th Wave Network. Remember, shift happens. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com.